The following podcast is brought to you by The Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Okay, well, good evening, everyone. Um, Thank you for bearing with us here. I thought it would be simpler if I just came here, but um, I think maybe that's not the case. But anyway, it's great to see you all there and here and uh, wherever you are at this moment. Um, It's a strange day or two. It feels like we're a little bit back from the brink, but still don't really quite know where we are, where we're going. Um, So, but there is some sense of a slight reprieve, uh, if only temporary. Um, So I don't know, there's just so much uh, that's being said and pontificated on these days about everything, Um, that it's hard to even listen to the people I respect and admire the most um, with their explanations and commentaries, uh, just has felt like this overwhelmment of information and really nobody knows. Um, but uh, as I said, it does feel good to be a few steps back from the brink. Um, so I guess I wanted to talk a little bit tonight about truth, you know, um, So much of the kind of corrosive sickness underlying, uh, so much of the dysfunction that's going on now, often in the name of um, free speech, is all too often really uh, just an excuse for the abandonment of what we call the truth, Uh, what I would put with a capital T. It's like the complete disregard for even its existence and importance is so alarming and uh, seems to just be steamrolling us into a complete dissolution and free-for-all of really society as we know it. And there is just this kind of false equivalency between free speech and false speech. And it's just, it's so challenging now to even talk about our collective problems, never mind attend to them when we can't even commonly acknowledge their existence, you know? It's like, I'm not even sure we could all say now that the sky is blue during the day and dark at night. Um, 
And so much now on just the societal level, too, I just think uh, at least partly has also a complete lack of acknowledgement and understanding of the truth of our real history. Uh, what really has happened for the last 400 years leading us up to this point, which is not kind of emerging out of nowhere. Uh, you know, the grand American myth of equality, freedom and justice for all. So I'm not gonna talk any more about this because I realize I'm completely preaching to the choir and most of you actually probably know more about this than I do. Um, but just as a prelude and what I wanted to talk about this evening uh, was just to be, remind us uh, of the importance and the value of truth in our own lives and in our practice. Um, can be very easy to give lip service to, and yet it can be so difficult and tricky to really practice, to see what we'd rather not see. And I was thinking again, and it just kind of a couple of years ago was changed without any fuss or fanfare. And it's just every time we haven't been doing it as much uh, lately, but it's, after the Enmejuku Kanangyo, uh, one of the dedications that we chant is may we all experience the truth of enlightenment and realize the Buddha way together. And this line for years, I mean, for the whole time, I, you know, many years, 20, 25 years prior to this had been may we all ascend to the throne of enlightenment and realize the Buddha way together. So it was just this kind of very quiet, seemingly small shifts, um, which over time has really permeated into me. And uh, I have to say helped uh, open my practice. Uh, in ways that I hadn't been aware it wasn't. So what is this throne of enlightenment uh, that we used to chant? Um, it just sounds so grand that it is completely out of reach. It's like over there, maybe someday, somehow, by some miracle, um, I might ascend uh, to this throne. Well, on the other hand, the truth of enlightenment uh, just feels much more accessible and real, but in another way can be deceptively simple. Um, so direct, everyday and intimate, and yet, uh, 
I think we also do want some idea of grandness. And because of that wanting, we miss the real grandness when it's right in front of us all the time. Surely it must be something else somewhere else. But as our practice continually tells us, the truth is always right here, moistened with nectar and ready to be harvested, as Dogen says. But too often we're not in touch uh, with how much we actually don't wanna see what's really going on, both in the world and in ourselves. Our anger and our fear uh, create in us these invisible barriers that we're not even aware are separating us uh, from our own truths. So in this way, our awareness of truth is just, it's really not obvious. And it never kind of ceases to amaze me how easy it is to miss what's right inside and right in front of us. So close, Uh, always, but it feels so far. Um, And while it seems so simple and actually in a way it is so simple, But like many of the simplest things, that can often be the most complicated or difficult to achieve, a kind of clarity and simplicity. Um, But so often I might think or believe I'm aware of what's going on inside, but there's more that I'm missing. And it's actually a story that I've created. To cover what I don't actually feel like I can see. You know, over time, I've come more and more to understand uh, that there are actually very real reasons uh, for not seeing. And um, I know, you know, a lot of people are talking about this now, but more often uh, it's due to kind of some kind of ongoing trauma when we were young, particularly, um, or other times, or some kind of dynamic uh, that would cause us really intense and ongoing pain or shame. And these two often seem to be a package deal. Either one can sort of proceed or follow the other. With other people and as a concept, uh, I came to understand the enigma really of not seeing fairly easily. Uh, 
but in myself, not so much and not so quickly. I still continuously find it extremely mysterious uh, how the most basic things uh, are still hard to see. And I'm reminded of this almost every week in therapy and often in awkward encounters that I may have with other people or some dynamic in the world that just seems uh, otherwise inexplicable to me. And it's strange how when I'm unaware of how I really feel, a lot of times I can actually be lost in thought in one way or another, thinking about how I'm feeling or dreaming or being busy in some way to fill in the gap of actually just being with how I'm feeling, just being present to it and allowing it to arise and explain itself. Uh, somehow the process of trying to figure it out can actually suppress it. So in one way or another, when this happens, I'm not really with or where I am, or as my very wise aunt Seal would say, right where my feet are, as Kojin beautifully uh, alluded to in his recent talk. Um, and again, this is particularly true uh, when there's any fear, feelings of shame, of anger, of neediness, um, or fear lurking under the surface. None of these states seem remotely like the idea I had of the throne of enlightenment. Who wants to ascend into tears or other various feelings of pain or discomfort or unease? Peacefulness, yes. Wisdom, yes. Compassion, Yes, ease, joy, and openness. Open arms, yes, please. I will sit on that throne um, of enlightenment. So rather than admitting to and settling into what is actually going on, we can start making up stories about who we are or how we're doing or the motivations for what we're doing or what we're not doing. Um, oh, I'm just fine, thanks. Uh, I'm great, things are just great. Uh, meanwhile, you know, my feelings are hurt and raw, or I'm furious, or I'm filled with anxiety. But somehow to deal with that, it's like, oh, I'm fine. It's all good. 
And I've noticed if I have an aversion or difficulty uh, with someone, it's pretty much always because they're triggering something inside of me, which I don't know how to deal with, or I just don't want to deal with it. And it's really about me and not them. And a lot of that can also be said of the world in general. Uh, keeping and these stories that we can create about the other, whatever that looks like on whatever scale, can keep, can keep us from our own sense of inadequacy. Um, and again, whatever that may look like for you in any given situation. It's just so easy and quick to put the inadequacy or the blame onto the other. And we see that flying all over the place now, uh, in every direction. Thankfully, uh, after about 30 years of practicing, uh, I can take that now as a signal to look inside. Even if I may not always do it successfully, at least I know that actually I need to really look here. And it doesn't have to take 30 years, trust me. Uh, but it does take a while. Our Zazen is of course uh, a wonderful field uh, for us in which to let all of these really uncomfortable and destructive states, uh, which can get activated just simply to unwind. And if we're open, allow them to reveal themselves to us. When we let go of that judging mind, the invisible starts to become visible when it feels safe. And part of feeling safe with ourselves may also have to do with uh, something just as subtle as the tone of our inner voice. Uh, sometimes my inner voice can be so strong and so harsh and so critical uh, that no wonder, you know, those parts of myself run for the hills. And this can be especially hard to see or notice. Uh, but sometimes it can be easier to see if we're projecting it uh, onto others, uh, often those very close to us, who will often let us know. We may not believe them at first, but there's often something there. And it can also come out in relations with others that we may not notice is going on all the time inside our head. And that's one of the reasons Sangha is so important, to be with a community of people 
that also triggers us. You know, this Sangha is amazing in terms of its support and openness and effusive love, like I've not seen or experienced anywhere else. And it's quite remarkable, really. But at the same time, there are also undercurrents that are very real of jealousy, of anger, of pissed offness, of hurt, of that get triggered. And it's Sangha that gives us a wonderful arena in which to also look at that stuff, not just, not just all the sweet stuff which is great. I am all for the sweet stuff, but, uh, but we're not all sweet all the time. Um, and I found that actually those very emotions that we try so hard to avoid are themselves like the rich caves full of jewels, uh, just waiting to be mined when we let ourselves uh, see the parts of ourselves and our histories uh, that we didn't know were there. And as we do that, ever more layers of the onion start revealing themselves slowly and gradually uh, over time. If I can catch that voice or that sense of when I'm beating myself up, if I try to figure it out or think it away, it's not going to happen. But if I can change the tenor of the inner conversation to just be curious, like, oh, God, what am I doing? What is this about? a kind of gentle inquiring tone with myself that I would have with somebody else. Uh, it's then that I might actually discover something and not sort of just stay frozen. So our Zazen, more than anything else, is what really helps us create the space or the room for these unseen and unwanted voices, uh, aspects of the self to unfold and reveal themselves, uh, to just be. And we may initially feel like there's no room or no place for them. Uh, but this kind of field of awareness, you know, we're scared they will take over or uh, just fill the space. But our field of awareness uh, really has no walls. Uh, and in this space, all the energies, the memories, the emotions, the thoughts, the sensations, when we let them, can actually just come and go freely. It's very mysterious. It's like Vimalakirti's room, you know, this 
small space inside the size of our brains uh, can fit the whole universe when we're open. And when they feel welcome, nothing actually seems mysteriously to have the need to stay uh, and not stick. I find that when I actually let them in, they actually tend to come and go freely. But it's when I try to keep them out that they overstay their welcome and never seem to want to leave. They're just always lurking, you know, right under the surface. Um, and they just keep banging at the door, waiting to come in in the most inappropriate and uncomfortable times. Um, so this opening to the truth of the fullness of ourselves which is really what it is. It's just the fullness of ourselves. You know, we are the world and we're filled with all of it. Uh, reality as it is, is what helps us and allows us actually to heal our karma and make room for something new and fresh to happen the last line of that dedication is the last part of that sentence is, and so the mind flower can bloom in eternal spring, which is something we as a country also sorely need to do. So how am I doing on time? Should I end? I don't know what time it is. Okay. okay. Um, so the more we gradually bring this quality of attentiveness without judgment into our daily activity, um, the things that may have before seemed full of dread, tedium, wastes of time, wastes of our precious time, are actually what can become the most fully engaging uh, as if by magic and relaxing even. Um, in my field of work, which is making pots, there is much that could be deemed tedious. Uh, and many aspects that I used to think I just needed to get through in order to get to the real work of making objects, the creative piece, that that's where really all the juice was, uh, where all the value was. Uh, but it's all making things, creating the reality of this moment. Um, I remember way back when I was in graduate school, this incredible potter, uh, named Walter Ostrom, who was one of the potters along with this woman, Betty Woodman, both who has since died, uh, were responsible for bringing the whole earthenware tradition, uh, low fire decorative ceramics back into this 
country. Um, and anyway, so he was giving this workshop where I was in graduate school and he would make these flower bricks that were really beautiful. And on the top of them, there were just like the top of a pie, these strips of clay making this kind of lattice work. And it was so time consuming to do that, to make those strips, to lay them on, to attach them. Um, just right. And I remember somebody asking him why he didn't have somebody else uh, make those because it is so time consuming and repetitive. And there's something about the repetitive nature of it that we tend to think lessens the value of something um, and requires attention, you know, also while that. You can't just mindlessly watch TV and, you know, or chat while you're... And he said, and it shocked me, you know, he said that he wouldn't give it up for the world, that it was actually the time that in a lot of ways he valued and enjoyed the most uh, about being a potter. And it's where most of his ideas were born and that it was actually an inextricable part of the process, just as much as the idea comes from somewhere and this is the soil, the mud from which it's all born. Anyway, I never forgot that. It has stayed with me in kind of the most profound way. Um, and just, Last week, a student I have at Greenwich House told me uh, last week that one night he was in the glazing room. You have to schedule these separate appointments, not during class time and go in to glaze your pots now. And uh, someone came up to him and said, oh, I bet Julie Terrisman was your teacher. And uh, he said, well, yes, why? And uh, I thought it was gonna be because of some glaze technique he was doing or sort of the tenor of his pot or you know, something like that. And, uh, but they told him it was because of the way he cleaned the glaze room as he worked. And uh, at first I was like, oh, you're kidding me, right? I was just very disappointed. Uh, you know, my ego wanted it to be because of his beautiful work. Uh, but then I thought, no, this too is the work. This is cleaning the sink. How grand. And I just had to laugh with appreciation and feel very, very proud. My job was done. Um, so anyway, I just want to uh, encourage everyone to be brave, to be curious, to be humble, and to keep opening to the fullness of reality as it is inside and out. May we all experience the enlightenment of truth 
or is it the truth of enlightenment? And realize the Buddha way together.